We are told that God's people should forgive and forget. But many of us can confess that sometimes this is easier said than done. While small grievances are relatively easy to leave in the past, serious injury is another story entirely. It is only natural to struggle to forgive serious wrongs when the perpetrator clearly does not deserve forgiveness. How can we stop hitting back at those who deserve it? If you've ever struggled to forgive and forget, you will want to listen and learn along with Nathan Norman, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Kent Edwards as they discover the secret of forgiveness from the life of Joseph. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Genesis. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 26, as we join their discussion. Sir Isaac Newton, who has been described as the greatest scientific genius the world has known, said in his third law of motion that, quote, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. <laughs> well, this is true in the interaction of physical objects, but also seems to apply to human relationships. Actions often result in reactions, or as we might say in America, there is tit for tat. Have you ever seen people react this way? Exclusively. <laughs> right? Well, you see it with kids. Uh, he took my toy, so I'm going to wallop him in the face. Uh, you see, I mean, that obvious, very, very much so on the playground. And, you know, I, I can't possibly be speaking about my own children doing that. Um, <laughs> if I can justify why I did what to him, it, it's fine. Um, but you see it with adults, too. It, it tends to be colder than that, where they stop talking to another person or they gossip about them behind their back. But you certainly see retaliatory features in adult relationships, and unfortunately in the church as well. Yeah, and the stronger the emotion, the greater the retaliation. I think that's why um, uh, I'm told that uh, police officers often fear domestic quarrels more than uh, quarrels between uh, strangers, because emotions cause uh, greater reactions and vengeance against the other. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about retaliation, and how common it is in human experience. As we come to the end of the book of Genesis, the end of chapter 50, we have Joseph. And um, if you've been with us in our earlier podcast, uh, my question to you and to Nathan Vicky as well, did Joseph have a reason, now that his father was gone, to retaliate against his brothers? Oh, I think if somebody threw me in a pit and wanted to kill, <laughs> to kill me, yeah, I think that ticked me off. <laughs> I think I'd spend some time fantasizing about how to do it. <laughs> yeah, give him what's coming to him. Yeah, the fact is that as you read the text in Genesis, in spite of Joseph's constant commitment to righteousness, his brother's hatred of him started when he was just a kid and only increased as he got older. When Joseph caught his brothers engaging in um, apparent uh, gross immorality, they um, wanted to hide it, so they sold him into slavery and told their father he was dead. His life as a slave was legendarily bad. Purchased by an Egyptian military officer, 
Joseph, in spite of his faithful service, was thrown into prison after the, his owner's wife made this bogus accusation of rape. And then, in prison, in spite of his faithful uh, voluntary service in the prison and his assistance to fellow prisoners, he was forgotten and abandoned in that prison for two full years. Yes, he was freed and elevated to number two in all of Egypt, but that was God's doing, not his brother's. I, that's why it's interesting, Jacob and Jacob's blessing of Joseph, you may remember, back in chapter 49, Jacob said, in describing Joseph, he says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. Therefore, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains. And let all of these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Well, that's pretty powerful. Jacob's saying, I got, you know, 12 sons, but none of them are as good as Joseph. He stands above them all. So, according to Jacob, and what we saw in the text, Joseph was a righteous man who was treated in the grossest, most uh, irresponsible, unrighteous, wicked ways you can imagine. If anybody was responsible for the years of torment and terror that Joseph endured, it was his brothers. And now, in chapter 50, Joseph was Jacob's number one son, de facto leader of the family. And now, as the number two in the world's greatest superpower, he could literally do anything he wanted to his brothers. If you ever wanted vengeance, nobody had a better opportunity to get vengeance and perhaps a better rationale than Joseph did right there. That's why <laughs> the Bible is just so honest, right? I mean, it just, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. It realizes what's happening. And that's why we read in chapter 50, verse 15, the response of Joseph's brothers at, after the death of Jacob, the only possible restraining force on the vengeance of Joseph. And there we read, well, what does it say there, Vicki? It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? That's a way to put it, a grudge. <laughs> what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Yeah, they're scared to death. And I, oh, please, oh yeah, please let, let me talk about this. So, the, so they pull out a letter. Listen to this. I mean, just listen to this. They <laughs> knew what yutzes they were. And what, that's a small term, too. So they had their father write a letter to Joseph before he dies. Imagine that conversation. <laughs> Because they had to, they had to tell him that you know they always lied to him, but they had to tell him some of this stuff. And their father wrote this letter that said, "I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs." Nothing specific here, but he knew some of the stuff, the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father just to make him feel guilty. The sins of the servants of God of your father. <laughs> and, and then what did they do in verse 18? 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him, saying, we are your slaves. Yeah. Again, just a little few sprinkles on top of the ice cream <laughs> sundae of guilt that they're serving up. And Joseph wept, it tells us. I think he wept because he, he had expressed extreme forgiveness and reconciliation, and they, they didn't buy it. They didn't trust him. Mm-hmm. They had to get their dad to, to write a letter from beyond the grave. I've already mourned my dad. Oh, yeah, here's some more stuff he wrote. We think that because we would act that way, they must be willing, ready to act that way. Right. They're revealing their hearts. Even now, I think they're saying, if we were you. Yeah, oftentimes there is a uh, men who are committing adultery or trying to find out that their wives are also committing adultery because then they're off the hook, right? They've, they've, got, uh, they've got reasonable cause for what they're doing. So let me ask you, if you were Joseph with a lifetime of mistreatment and unlimited power, what would you be tempted to do to your brothers right at that moment? Remember those chariots in the last, in the last <laughs> show? <laughs> I get armies and chariots and, oh, man, they would be in trouble. At least I'd like to think about it. Oh, yeah. yeah well, you that's right. You're my slaves. I'm going to send you over to the salt mines, right? Right. Yeah, it's not going to be yeah. forever. Just, just, you know, five years. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, and then after that, you know, I had to spend two years in prison. You guys can spend two years in prison. Uh, I've got uh, the keys to some Egyptians' prisons. Let me uh, let me introduce you to some of them. Right. No, absolutely limitless. But instead, we read in verse 21 some of the most astonishing words in the Bible. What does it say in verse 21? How does Eve respond? Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's right. Wow. Um, I don't think I could have said that. This is, this is forgiveness. Forgiveness in the flesh. This is one of the most powerful, poignant expressions of what it means to forgive someone genuinely that I'm aware of anywhere in the Bible. Apart from the death of Christ, of course. Absolutely. He didn't just say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But he, he goes on, I will provide for you and I'll provide for your children. That, okay, that's so just amazing. I want, I want the ability to be able to forgive like Joseph did. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but, but there are times when I can struggle with that. When I um, look back at an injustice and it... Uh, <clears throat> You know, it doesn't take much for some feelings to reemerge. I want to be able to forgive as Joseph forgave. Yeah. I had a former boss who was horribly uh, spiritually abusive he was in a church setting. And uh, not just to me, but to others. And uh, so I, I got together a number of years after it was all over uh, with another person who had been spiritually abused by, uh, by this man. And of course, you know, we we're just talking about life. And of course, you know, it came up and how hurt and bitter we all were about it. And we, we talked about forgiveness and my friend said, I don't even want to forgive. 
Like, I have no desire to forgive. I mean, this is a Christian man. It's a man who loves the Lord. It's a man who was who was and is serving the Lord. And he just said, I'm so hurt. I have no desire uh, to, to even want to forgive. And so so when we got into the parking lot before we said goodbye, I was like, you know what? We, we need to pray. And I prayed, God, help us to want to forgive. Like, get us to that point. Get like the, mm-hmm. the forgiveness is so huge to that, to the level Joseph is here now, but help us to actually at least want to want to forgive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it, and it was a slog it, for myself. It was a slog to get to that point to, to the desire to forgive. It was a long, long process to get to this. And Joseph here, he just goes, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Of course, I'm going to forgive you. That's incredible to me. It is a little perspective. I think the deeper we are wounded, the harder and longer it takes to get us to the point where, where Joseph is now. Yes. Someone says instantly after a, a brutal offense, you know, I forgive you. I'm not sure that's real. I'm not sure they're capable of yeah. doing that yet. Well, I, I, I think in one way they are, because in the Hebrew Bible, you see, it, it talks about the heart of hearts, right? And so in the Hebrew understanding, the heart is like the, the, the most inner self, the most real self, and mm-hmm. the heart has layers, right? right. And yeah, so yeah. I think that's where... Um, you have competing loves and competing desires. You know, you have someone who says, oh, man, I love my kid, but oh, man, I can't get off these drugs. And so you can say, well, they didn't get off the drugs. so They don't love their kid. No, that's not true. They did love their kid. But in a deeper place in their heart, they were addicted to those drugs and they couldn't get off of them. And so I think I think sometimes forgiveness works that way. Like if I go, man, I'm I sure. forgive you. Right. That was a, such a deep offense. I forgive you. Right. And then a week later, I'm like, man, I can't stand this person. I think that's a deeper place in your heart. That, that God is saying, okay, now you got to forgive him a little bit deeper. Okay, right? And you got you to work all the way down to the depths of your heart as deep as it penetrated your, your personal self and constantly do it, um, which maybe that's an image of what we're getting here with Joseph, right? Because so. he's constantly forgiving these guys for, for their atrocious, atrocious actions against him. No, I think you're right. That's very helpful. Um, the deeper the hurt, the, the longer it takes for us to get to the core of that hurt. Yeah, and uh, and fully forgive. So I guess my question is, how do we get there? And and my question is, how did Joseph get there? Because he genuinely got to a place of full forgiveness against incredible evil. How did he get there? I think we see two things in the text that give us hints about how we can reach the level of full forgiveness. The first one's in verse nineteen. Vicky, could you read that for us? Well, he said, as Nathan mentioned ago, he said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? That's it. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Mm. What is he saying there? His desire, the human desire is for retribution, right? Mm -hmm. For revenge. And then he says, don't worry. Am I in the place of God? What is he implying there? That he can't rightly judge a situation like God can. Right. That there is a place for justice. Right? Right. He's not saying there will be no justice. What he's saying is, I am not qualified to bring judgment on another. Only God, who is holy, knows what the proper holy response should be to this sin. Am I in the place of God? No. No. Let God be God. 
I wonder if he has not learned from Abraham back in chapter 18. Do you remember the discussion Abraham had with God when um, God revealed to him that he was thinking about bringing judgment upon the city of Sodom? Uh, Abraham said to God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? No, far be it from you to treat the righteous and the wicked alike. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham is saying, you are the judge of all the earth. You will do what is right. We're not the people who should be judging. You are the one who should be judging. And Joseph is saying, I'm going to allow God to do whatever justice is necessary. And that's not my job. I will step away and allow him to do whatever he wants in his time. Why? Why is it always better to allow God to judge our enemies? Well, I can tell you from personal experience why it's better. Mm -hmm. I went through a time in my life where I was angry, just mm -hmm. angry. And I would tell you probably incorrectly that I had a right to be angry. I remember telling a friend of mine about it and her saying to me, a right to be angry. And, and I, I went home and I, I, I went to a uh, concordance and looked up all the words for, for anger. And, um, and I was like, I was like you, Nathan, I, 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 I don't know that I didn't want to forgive. I didn't know. I didn't know how to get rid of the emotion that goes along with it, you mm. know, because I, I prayed that I, I could forgive and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't leave me. Um, I, I would have been happy to forgive. I wanted to add on me, but it just it wouldn't go away. And then finally, I, I, uh, I, I, I just I just said to God, I'm, I'm angry inside. I realized that I was wrong to be angry, but it, it I said to God, I want to do this right. I, I want to be a godly woman. And I just, I, I don't know what to do with these feelings. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how, but I want to, I want to do it your way. And the, the feelings just left. Hmm. And sometimes, sometimes I get a whiff off and come back, but that awful, just huge, weighty jacket is gone. Mm. Just mm. gone, gone. Sometimes a little sweater will come back, but I can cast that off. But that big, heavy jacket, is, it's just gone. God took it away. Wow. And it's so much better this way. You don't want that big, heavy jacket. You don't want that. No. No. And to go back to the question, too, it's better to allow God to judge our enemies uh, for two reasons in my mind. One is that he can rightly divide the situation. I mean, I, I don't know everyone's situation. I don't know all the details. I don't have all the facts. God does, so he is in the best position to adjudicate justice. The second reason, which is much more cynical and ungodly, is that he can judge them <laughs> and punish them way better than I can. <laughs> that is cynical. <laughs> but it does kind of help. Uh, uh, when, when, I, when I went through that day, um, David, I was reading all those verses, and David says, against you and you only have I sinned. And that made me mad because mm -hmm. I thought that is not true. I have been, I mean, it made me mad. I remember thinking I have been sinned against. It isn't only God. How dare you think that I've been sinned against. And then I realized I'm not righteous. 
I'm not righteous. God is righteous. I can't exactly talk you through this because I'm not in that space right now. But but if God is righteous and it, and and God died for all sin, it's it is God and not me. All that sin has already been dealt with. And God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And I thought, you know what? I'm leaving this alone. This is not my battle. And you give this to God. And I did it. And I don't regret it. And I'm also freed now to care about that other person. All Mm -hmm. of that's refreshing. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. The fact is, is that when we are hurt deeply and emotionally, as you've just described, Vicki, and as we've all experienced, we are never less qualified to render judgment than in that moment. The heat of emotion causes us to overreact, to do things that are inappropriate. That's when we do things that we regret. When we can genuinely say, I don't need to aggressively seek justice for myself, and I don't need to passively, aggressively try and seek justice for myself. I can just leave this offense with God and allow him to deal with it. That's when we get to the better place and say, God, I place it in your hands. I trust you with my salvation. I trust you with the justice that needs to be given. And that may come immediately. That may not only come in eternity, but the judge of the whole world will do what is right in ways that we can't. So that's the first thing he does. I think that's the first step to forgiveness, and Vicki done a good job of explaining that. But in verse 20, he gives the second reason why he can forgive his brothers. What does he say in verse 20? I love this verse. And whenever bad things happen to me, I think about this verse. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I like the translation that says, you intended this for evil. God intended this for good. That means no matter what happens to me, you may have meant this for bad. God is going to work this somehow together for good. He's going to take a sweet time, I can pretty much tell you. But But notice how those two reasons uh, that Joseph gives for forgiveness are intertwined. It's because Joseph was content to leave justice in God's hands that his emotions were not inflamed. And that gave him the ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm sure, to look back at his ordeal he went through with a divine perspective, Mm. to see with the objectivity only God can provide, that if God is sovereign, and he is, and he loves me deeply, which he does, then how will God use this? How will he turn this scar into something that is beautiful in my life? Have you ever looked back and seen how God has given you an eternal perspective on the pain that uh, has come into your life? Absolutely. I know for myself, two things. One, when I was younger, I know this is shocking, but I was bullied a lot as a kid. And, (laughs) uh, And going through all that as a kid, going through that as a young adult... 
and, and, and frankly, going through that in a church setting has given me a really good perspective on leadership, about justice, about protecting the vulnerable. So now that I have a position of authority, I, I, I don't put up with it anymore. When I see people bullying others, when I see people mm-hmm. trying to strong arm them, uh, I will step in immediately and say, no, that's not what we do and this isn't how we do it. And you need to repent and apologize, you know, and then they either leave the church or they, they repent and apologize. Uh, but it's it's made a much healthier way. And it's it's also, the second part of that is it's taught me on the proper use of power and authority, not to use it to bear it over others, but instead to use mm-hmm. it to serve and help others and to do everything within my power to make sure no one has to go through the pain I went through. Uh, so it's very preventative. I'm able to help others and make sure they don't have to suffer the way I had to. And I would never sign up to go through it again, but but I'm very sure. thankful that I did. Mm. So it's fascinating now you can see how God has woven that terrible experience into the fabric of your ministry today and made it more beautiful and more effective because of that. Yeah. There's, I have experienced this. I may have shared in previous podcasts that uh, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. and But my parents, as much as they love the Lord, um, like so many in the years, centuries that have passed, fell victim to false teachers. Um, I would call them um, cult leaders. These people came with teaching that was not based on the accurate understanding of the Bible. It deeply affected my parents' life. It changed the direction of their life. It changed their relationships with us as their children. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, to beware of false prophets, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. And that was our experience. People came looking like they were good, looking like they were biblical, and their teaching was dangerous and harmful. They pulled my sister into this cult organization for decades, radically changed her life. It uh, caused deep division in uh, a family as the realization began to grow that uh, the teaching that we were being taught was not biblical. It was just an awful time. But let me tell you something. What God showed me is the danger of false teaching. What God had taught me through that is that it's easy to use the Bible poorly and to say in God's name what he doesn't say. But it is critical, it is critical that the leaders of God's people say what God has said in his word. The fate of the people they lead hangs in the balance. That was drilled into me, that changed my pastoral ministry. I wanted to be so careful, Vicki, as your dad would say, as had Robinson said so oftentimes, get the big idea. Don't sign God's name to a check that he didn't write. That's actually what has started Crosstalk. I am so concerned for the church around the world that its leaders know how to say what God said in his Bible, how to determine the truth and communicate it effectively. That's why we do what we do in the world, to equip leaders, to equip others, to equip others so that we can fight back against false teachers. We can help our people grow to eternity. Do I sound a little passionate? Yeah, you do. That's because what God has done in that terrible, hurtful experience, that um, the scars are there, is that like with Nathan, he's woven that into my ministry and created a passion for truth and the importance of teaching good godly people how to find and communicate that truth that I think is... uh, 
being borne out and is helpful, hopefully, to people all around the world today. And that's the perspective that Joseph was able to have. So I would, I would challenge each of us and our listeners, who has wounded you? Who has hurt you? What feelings still boil in the background about different people in your life? Forgiveness is not an option. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not, your Father will not forgive your sins. How do we come to the point where forgiveness is seen in our flesh? How can we fully forgive? Well, there's only two ways. First, we have to be content to allow God to make things right. Let it go and let the judge of the whole world do what is right. Let him take up your cause. And secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you how God can use what was intended for evil to be used for good. Sir Isaac Newton was right when he said that in the physical world we live in, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction. But in the relational world we live in, God calls us to be shock absorbers. Together, let's follow in Joseph's example. Let's demonstrate to the world what forgiveness looks like. How can we stop ourselves from getting even when others hurt us? We can trust God by leaving justice to Him and see how God will use what was meant to us for evil for good. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the Word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's Word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational, nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the book of Genesis. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>